You know that in the Old Testament, there is that great event called the exile. It was a tragedy that turned into triumph, but it took 70 years to do it. It was in 587 B.C. when the, uh, when the city of Jerusalem was ransacked. The mighty temple that represented the power of God with all of those uh, Jude, Jews who were in Judah and that those leaders were shackled together and they were led out of the city watching the temple and the representation of their unique relationship with the God who is the God of all creation. And they were led to the foreign land of Babylon. And as they traveled, they saw temples to other gods that were glistening in the morning sun that rose up from the cities and stood as monuments to other gods who seemed to be stronger than the God of Israel and the God of Judah. And the people were sad and they were in bondage. They were in exile in this faraway land. And when that was over, the prophet Isaiah began to speak to them a new word in their discouragement and their despair. Everything that they had known and everything that they had trusted had been destroyed. How could they trust God ever again? And then comes that word in chapter 43 of Isaiah. And he says, Behold, this is the Word of God, Behold, I am doing a new thing. And it's springing forth right now. Can't you see it? We have to open our eyes, we have to look around, and we have to see where God is working, even in our discouragement and our despair and our fears. God is working in our midst. We need to open our eyes and ourselves to that newness that is happening. Pray with me, please. Lord God, You are faithful always. Even when we don't feel Your presence and we think You're not there, You're there. When we get discouraged or we get crossways with one another, You have the power to bring healing and renewal to do the new thing. To open us now to Your Word of hope and encouragement in this day and in this place, in this world, in this year, that we could see where You are working and join You in that work of healing and renewal in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I was going to introduce myself a little bit at this point in the sermon, but Peggy has already done that. But one story about me that will introduce you to me is a story that is told by my friend and colleague, Catherine Putnam, with whom I worked for over eight years as two pastors at one church. And she said about me, after she had observed me for a while, is that David is the only person I know who when he hears the word,
conflict runs towards it and not away from it. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Because when there is differing ideas, when there is this thing we called conflict, or when we're trying to make a decision and there are different points of view, I find that that is the most pregnant of opportune times for God to be working in our midst. Because we're already in turmoil and we are ready then for a new thing. And in fact, we're looking for a new thing because it's sort of painful what we're experiencing now. And so that was always Catherine's story about me, and it is truly an affirmation of why I do this work that I do. Now I have to tell you, I don't like conflict personally either. When my wife and I are fighting, we, uh, it's just so uncomfortable. And yet it is clearing of the air and that sense of being uh, together in a conversation that can bring about healing. Think about in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, after we uh, have the Beatitudes, there comes a section where Jesus is talking about, well, do these things. These, this is the right way to do things. And in Matthew 5, you get to that point where it's talking about um, if you have, if you remember that there is someone who is, has something against you, leave your gift at the altar or at the table and go seek out that person and bring about reconciliation. Now notice that the impetus to, to reach out for reconciliation is on you. That you are to take the time to bring about some peacemaking activity, to understand the other person's point of view better, and to rejoice in coming back together again. Then you can truly come and bring your gifts of God to God, whether it be singing or praise or financial gifts or giving of yourself as a Sunday school teacher or whatever. And so that healing process needs to take place. And it is God who is instructing us to step out in faith, to reach out a hand of reconciliation to others with whom we have differences of opinion. Walter Lippmann, the great journalist from early in the 21st century, says that where everyone thinks alike, no one thinks very much. Remember how true that is when you're having disagreements. Or remember that movie that has been out on the big screen in just recently called Vantage Point where they take a look at the same murder of an individual from a variety of points of view. And it's only when different points of view have been seen that they can solve the case and to know who the murderer is. Vantage point. We all have different points of view. So this idea of having listening sessions is very important for two reasons. One is that it allows you to say that 
which is on your heart in a place that is safe and to be heard. I can remember when I was 17 years old and I was at a conference and I found myself telling the same story over and over and over again. It was a painful story. It was Christian young people. But I had to keep telling it over and over again until one person heard me. And then I could set it aside. But everybody was so busy talking about what they were doing and about their lives that it took multiple times of telling the story before my story was heard by somebody and then I could put it down. So one of the reasons that we're doing listening sessions is to allow you to tell your story, which will also give me information for the recommendations towards resolution and health that will come. The kinds of things that we will do is based upon what's going on in the life of the congregation. But the other part of it is that you get a chance to hear other people tell what they're experiencing from their point of view. And that's an exercise in patience, if you disagree with them. It's an exercise in love, as Ken was talking about with the children. It's an exercise in faith that God is doing a new thing. This is what the listening sessions are about. And that's only the first movement in the three movements of the work that we will do together. That's the first is to hear one another. And then the second is to look at, to do an analysis of what's going on and then to bring about resolution and healing. But it's not going to be easy. I, I have to tell you that when we begin telling our stories, that actually the level of tension and anxiety within a congregation initially goes up. Because all of a sudden we're hearing things that we don't want to hear. It's not going to be easy for us to share of ourselves because there are so few places where it's safe for us to do that. Diana Butler Bass says two things that are important for what we're about today. Diana has been studying congregations that are successful. Now, the first thing that she tells us is we are beaten down as mainline denominations. I mean, we're not, no longer mainline, we're sideline. How often has, have we heard that it's the religious right that's running the Republican Party and driving its agenda over and over? How often do we hear about those evangelical churches who have power over uh, things that are going on within the society? And so for 30 years... Diana Butler Bass says, we've been beaten down and sidelined, and so we come into being the church in the 21st century with an inferiority complex that's laid upon us by the culture. And she studied 50 churches that were successful to suggest that God's doing a new thing in those congregations. 
They're breaking out of that which began in the 1890s and swept all the way through until about 1950 or 1960 when all of our denominations had begun to decline. And oh, how painful that is. And she is saying that God is doing a new thing. That there are these 50 congregations, and there are actually many more, but 50 that she has studied, that are like the first blossoms of spring. You have to look and to see what they're doing and who they are. What, what is it that's making them successful? Every church has a different story to tell. But the point is, is that they're preaching the gospel, making disciples, and they're living their faith out in the world. And that's what we're called to do. The second thing that Diana Butler Bass says is that it is in the practicing of disciplines of faith, of living our faith, that these congregations are growing in vitality and health, growing in depth of commitment to serving God and becoming a strong and powerful witness to the world, to the love and the power of God in the world. Wow. See, that's something we can chew on. Something that we can celebrate. We don't have to be, be beaten down anymore in the media who only wants to talk about issues like uh, how our membership's declining or how we're fighting over gay and lesbian issues or how you know, we're fighting over the music that we sing and worship. She's saying that really, we can put those things aside if we would focus on serving God and being disciples and exploring the ancient practices that nurtured and fed the church prior to 1890 when we began on a different course. This is what I want First Baptist Church to become about. It's the healing of the souls of individuals who have been hurt and the healing of the soul of this congregation. And it's a healing that comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about that story at the end of John. Peter has denounced his relationship with Jesus. And he hangs his head in shame and he flees the city and goes north to Galilee where he's trying to get his life back to normal by going fishing. And Peter, Peter sees the Lord and, and the Lord asks him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. This is how he is bringing about healing and reconciliation between the one with whom he has pushed away, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, I know, you know that I love you. And so I think that that's the question that we have to focus on an answer for ourselves as we go into a time where the possibilities of healing and renewal of that sense of being strong in faith for ourselves and for the community can occur. And that is our response to that question. Lord, do you love me? 
And our, or, or, so I want to ask you that. I want you to think about your answer. Jesus asks you, Gary, do you love me? Kathy, Jesus asks, do you love me? Ellis, Jesus asks, do you love me? Ken, Jesus asks, do you love me? And our response has to be, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus says, feed my sheep. And that's what this is all about, is how do we do that? How do we nurture one another, even in our differences? even in our differing points of view and what has gone on in the last five to seven months in the life of this congregation. Lord, You know that I love You. Then feed My sheep. Amen.